Welcome to The Accurate Perspective, a podcast on local politics in Yakima. We take politics to a whole new level. Factual reporting, sources you can trust, and best of all, no BS. Unlike other news organizations, we won't mislead you or manipulate the news to our advantage. It's facts first, and the truth shall set you free. Join our hosts, Matt Brown, Lindsay Wehrmeyer, and Dave Mullen, as we do what we do best. And that's dunk on all our competitors. All our competitors. Welcome to the Accurate Perspective Podcast. I'm so thankful that you joined us for the next episode. We had a special guest on today. His name is Simi Bird. He is running for governor in Washington State out of Richland. And guys, I, I just have to say, he is a treat to listen to. And, you know, if there was questions that we didn't ask him, feel free to message us and send us some questions um, and we'll, we'll see if we can't get him on again. But this episode was a two parter. And so it's a little bit longer, but I just wanted to say thank you first and foremost before we get to the episode, because this has been a journey. We started back in May, started very unknown when it came to podcasting, but we started back in May and we're now at the end of the year going into January going into the next election season and we could not have been doing this without you guys and we have a lot of great content planned and in store for the future so we just want to say thank you thank you for supporting the show thank you for supporting our blog and different things like that going on in the community so first and foremost that is the biggest thing i want to get out of the way is thank you second this show is going to be a two-parter because it is longer than our average show and I didn't want <laughs> to break from tradition and keep our shows at a certain length. So this is going to be a two-part show. The other piece of that is I did have some technical difficulties with my own microphone. So apologies that uh, the content on this episode, my questions might have been in and out. Uh, but we had our awesome co-host, uh, Hannah Joy, join us. And she took over the rest of the show um, to kind of handle the questions with Simi. So Um, Just want to give you guys a heads up on that, but please listen to this episode. Have a great one. And guys, I know you guys, this is, you're listening to this after Christmas. So this is maybe even the new year at this point, but I just want to say, have a blessed new year. I hope you had a great Christmas and we'll see you guys soon. Thanks. This show is sponsored by Mac Daddy Coffee Roasters. If you haven't been there before, go check them out. It's down at 28 North 1st Street. And tell them Accurate Perspective sent you. You guys, this is a great local coffee shop. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. We couldn't do this without you. Again, go check them out. Mac Daddy Coffee Roasters. Today we have a special guest. Uh, it's Semi Bird. Semi uh, is a close friend and a... A uh, stellar dude down in Richland who uh, just announced for governor uh, to run for governor in 24. So uh, I wanted to get Semi on the show and kind of just pick his brain a little bit, get to know him and uh, let everyone else get to know him. So Semi, tell us about yourself. Oh, wow. What a start. Um, I, I hate to always repeat myself, but, but hey, for folks who don't know me, um, I'll start by saying that I, I was raised on the west side of the state in North Seattle, but I started my life's journey in East Oakland, which most folks would agree is an inner city ghetto. And the reason I am proud to mention 
my background in that regard was because of the times. And what I mean by that is this, my mom was a single mom. There were seven children. Um, her significant left her and uh, my mom sacrificed everything for her children. And um, when I was six years old, she got us out of the ghetto into North Seattle where my sister had married a gentleman. And um, it was the best thing she could have ever done for our family. But my mother was my greatest role model because of her mentorship and guidance, um, self-sacrificing for a greater good, sacrificing everything for her children. Um, so there's how I started my journey. K through 12 in school, uh, struggled. I was the, the dumb kid, as I used to be called often. And uh, in my 11th grade, I finished it. Um, that summer, I joined the Marine Corps. My mom signed for me to go in the Marine Corps on the promise that I would get my high school diploma, which I honored my word, and uh, I did make that happen. Of course, my commander also helped to make that happen because my mom called. And so when I reported into my commander, uh, the commander said, Eddie's private first class bird, your mother called. <laughs> and he essentially said, I just made a promise to your mother. And that means this entire unit has put their integrity in the line. So you will report to base education. You will get your high school diploma. Your mom said no GED diploma. That was the promise. Promises made, promises kept. I did. And uh, served in the Marine Corps. Um, did uh, seven and a half years. I extended two, three-year tours. Extended. Got my honorable discharge. I'm not going to lie. Um, I got slapped around by the Marine Corps and, and learned the hard way. Lost a stripe at some point in time. Um, found myself in Pearl Harbor chip and paint, but you know what? Growth, right? I learned from that example. Uh, I learned from that, uh, I would say error in judgment. Um, and I'll just tell the story real quick because it kind of reflects on who I am. Um, this is someone who had a problem with me. This is way back in the day, uh, 1982, I believe it was. It was like 40 years ago. Gentleman had a problem with me because of who I was and perhaps what I looked like. And I'm okay with people's beliefs, as long as you don't impose them on others. But um, long story short, the gentleman put hands on me and I defended myself and I got in trouble for fighting. And, um, um, but I, le I learned, you don't strike another Marine, no matter what the case is. And they made sure I learned my lesson. So I can honestly say I've not gotten in any fights since then. And um, uh, left that, I went in as a boy and came out as a man. And the reason I wanted to mention that is because I think we lose track. We expect our, our our politicians, our elected officials to be better than us, to be perfect, to walk on water. I'm going to be the first one to tell you, I am not that guy. Now, I'm a constitutional Christian conservative. And the reason I say it that way is because those are the things I believe greatly in, specifically and especially my spiritual beliefs. And again, I'm one of those people who actually loves my country. Um, I love the flag. Um, and because I bled for the flag, I've served for the flag. I spent um, 24 years uh, in service to my country. So I started out in the Marine Corps, later went into the Army, went into Army Special Forces post 9-11, um, found myself where I zigged and I should have zagged, and so the Purple Heart, and I stood up for my men and the Bronze Star Valor. And um, that was a learning experience as well. I, I'm a mama's boy. I'm a gummy bear. I love people, right? Um, I've never been the stud of studs, the jock of jocks. That's not me. I'm just a guy that's always tried um, that that because of how I was raised, do not see adversity as something that you cannot navigate. Believe in yourself. And if you believe in yourself, there's nothing that you cannot achieve. And so at age 43, I became an Army Special Forces Green Beret. 
and I deployed and deployed and deployed. I went into special forces intelligence after serving on an A-team as a special forces engineer. And uh, going into intelligence, I worked my way into where I was working out of uh, diplomatic um, uh, organizations all over the world. And uh, again, more lessons learned. Came off of active duty. Um, I was going to go into the Central Intelligence Agency. Um, I did polygraph and background, and we were blessed with our, our, our my third child, Hannah. And uh, and so I made the choice, and I was blessed to be able to um, be hired by the United States Department of Energy. And so I served in the Department of Energy. I retired as a director or federal director of training and leadership development. Prior to that, I served as an acting chief of staff. This is down here on the Hanford uh, nuclear site. Um, I specifically with cleanup, the Hanford cleanup mission. I had served as a director of organizational development, performance improvement. And so then I went and taught at WSU, did my time there as an associate director. I loved it. Um, hung my own shingle as a behavioral scientist and performance consultant. And so that's what I do. I'm finishing up my PhD in industrial organizational psychology. I just have to finish my research. I've done all my psychology courses. They've been done probably for two or three years, but uh, I went to work. So that's just a touch, probably too much. I don't like to talk about this that much. No, man, you, you, uh, you have quite the, the, uh, resume there i think the first time i met you and you started talking to me about all that stuff i was like yeah i'm just a pastor over here in yakima i'm just you know hanging out trying to trying to make my city better dude you are uh you are very well decorated um person. man i gotta say and i bet i probably told you when you told me you were pastor you could see it in my face your stock went to there right <laughs> yeah, because yeah. uh i mean it's it's a big deal so what you think is a big deal you know jumping out of airplanes whatever I think it's a big deal. And it's not just because, again, well, I guess it is because of my beliefs. I think it's a beautiful thing when you have a calling to serve God. Um, we all serve in our own way. And and you need to be praised for for what you do as well. No, oh, thank you, Simi. And Hannah, no. Hannah's like a mom of like, I don't know, how many kids you got? Oh, I can't hear you, Hannah. We lost your audio. She may be She's muted. She's got six. Oh, wow. Um, no, can't hear you no. now. Well, anyways, she's got a lot of kids. That's awesome. <laughs> so, if I could do it over again, I'd have six myself because I love children. Yes, I got two and, you know, they keep me on my toes. But mm -hmm. if it was up to my wife, we'd probably have 12. So we're, uh, you know, we're getting there. So, um, well, let me let me uh, let me uh, start you off with the first question okay. um, that we got here for you. So uh, to. In the last, I mean, we're, we're going to kind of jump into some concurrent events that just literally happened within, I don't know, the last two hours. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it kind of goes to, because you, you you said you mentioned you're a constitutional conservative um, Republican, and uh, you and I were both elected recently as county chairs of our party, right? Benton County, I'm over here in Yakima. Um, and I've been getting a lot of phone calls today, Semi, about this $1.7 trillion stimulus bill <laughs> that was sent out. And the thing that kind of shocked me was this person actually told me on the phone, said, I will never vote again after 18 Republicans just voted to approve a $1.7 trillion stimulus. They are feckless cowards. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, what, what are we supposed to do with that? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, 
So how do, how do we navigate that? Because your message of unity, how do we how do we cut through that? Because we obviously need people to vote. Yeah. Yeah. No, Matt. And thanks. Um, so this is good. So I get for your viewers. The, the neat thing about this podcast is I have no idea what Matt's going to ask me. And I love it because it, I would prefer to speak from the heart, to speak from what I know. And if it's something I don't know, I'm going to tell you. But specific to that bill that was passed, this is indicative of the system. And I'm not one to call names because blame is a victim behavior. I, I tend to be that action person. Bring a solution. Get the root cause. Bring a solution. Make it happen. But we have a, a system, or whereas we know what right is, but for some reason, people choose to align more to the system than to their job and what the people expect them to do. For example, fiscal responsibility. If you say that you're a Republican, one of the tenants, if you will, or platforms of the Republican Party is fiscal responsibility. Why is it that we continue to raise the debt, right, to, to raise the debt limit? so that we can spend more money and print more money. Why is it that specifically in this bill that, that came out just in recent hours that you speak of, these conservatives, they know that this bill is full of earmarks. And what that simply is, whether it's the Michelle Obama uh, hiking trail, or whether it's more diversity, equity, and inclusions, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with these, I'm not taking a side on that. My point is earmarks are allocations of money for politicians' districts and bless their hearts to work for their district. But why is it that the entire nation is paying for what's going on in those districts? I say the same thing with a, a lack of fiscal responsibility happens at the state level. And, and again, I, I'm gonna just kind of shift a little bit and I don't wanna uh, uh, um, equivocate on what you had asked, but if you look at our state level in Washington state, we haven't had tax relief for 40 years, right? Whereas in, in California, Gavin Newsom, and I, I believe our governor was down there at the time that he did this, uh, this announcement, right? And Gavin Newsom announced the, the greatest tax relief for California in history. And so right now in Washington state where we have record high inflation, right? Record high spending, we also have huge revenue come in. But instead of getting tax relief, we tax more, right? We tax more. Um, it doesn't make sense. We have record high revenue. Why are we not cutting spending and giving tax relief, but instead we make more money, we spend more money. We make more money, we spend more. And there's the correlation of federal government. Whereas we get too out of hand, we just raise the debt limit and print more money. This is a dangerous set of behaviors that happens at the federal government and it happens at the state government. And so for your voter who said that, I understand, I make at least 30 calls a day reaching out to possible constituents, right? Reaching out to citizens who have voted so that I can hear from them to know what do you expect in your governor? What do you expect in the next governor? Tell me. And usually I, I get this first laugh and then I also get frustration, disenfranchisement, folks who are just tired. They are sick and tired of the status quo. And so this, again, I'm just gonna say it, we need to hire, no, we talked about this before. I, I said something where, Instead of re-electing or electing career politicians, let's look at electing career Americans. And what I mean by career Americans is folks like you and I, who get up in them every morning, we have to put food on the table, we have to take care of our families, we have to balance our budgets, we have to pay taxes, we have to be responsible for our lives. Should we not expect the same thing in our elected officials? We need to put people in office who know how to make payroll, 
who has had to struggle, right? Who have fallen and gotten back up. That's what we should be looking for. And so hopefully I answered your question in, in terms of that bill. I was tracking with it as soon as the approval went. You can look at other things, Matt, where, where we have, um, oh my goodness, we, we have the, the uh, clearing all the student debt, right? Clearing the student debt. And, and where's that money coming from? It's coming from taxpayers, right? I fought and bled for my country, right? I earned my tuition assistance through the post 9-11 GI Bill, and that paid for my education. I earned it. And there are other people who worked hard to earn their education, who paid for their education one way or another, whether it was serving their nation or working hard for that money. And when you wipe away debt of others who chose not to be responsible, I, I think this is a dangerous behavior. So I'm going to break so that you can get a word in edgewise. No, you're good, man. Uh, Hannah's going to jump right back on. She's jumping yeah. on a different computer because she's Excellent. having some technical issues. But um, <clears throat> I'm going to jump to the next question. Um, so uh, let's see. How do you, Semi, um, define far left and far right as compared to a moderate? You know, so that that is blurry. And, and and here's here's one way of looking at it. Our campaign, as you know, Matt, and as you said earlier, our campaign is about unity. And we, what I mean by that is this. I am a constitutional Christian conservative, as they said. You know, I've been on Jason Ranch show, and, and I adore Jason Ranch. Great show. Um, Jason said, as soon as I said those three words, he said, send me right there. I live in Seattle, and I know Seattle, and you're going to lose Seattle by saying those three words. And, I, and it and what I believe is this, folks don't understand what those three words mean. Well, we are going to start clearing that up in our campaign page. You're going to see it. We're going to define it. But what I will say is this, when you believe in the, con sorry, when you believe in the constitution, you are putting citizens first. This is a constitutional republic, which means we are uniquely formed. We started off our journey by overthrowing the British empire, right? And so when we developed our constitution, our declaration, our constitution, this was by the people for the people. And what that means is the people's voice matters. That's what I mean by when I say constitution. This is for all people. And even Dr. Martin Luther King said in many of his speeches, you know, the declaration of the constitution, these are documents in which promises were made. And it's important for our society, for America, to ensure that we follow through. We talk about all men are created equal endowed by their creators so to certain unalienable rights. Dr. King says those are powerful words. He supported those words, and it's up to all of us as citizens to push forward to honor those words in our founding documents. The, re the way I'm going to, the reason I'm saying this, Matt, is people will say a far right person is those constitution people. That is not true. The constitution is for all Americans. And when you stop and think about how this nation was founded, and I'm just going to go, go here for a minute. The Statue of Liberty, that plaque at the base of the pedestal, the New Colossus, it's a poem that's written by Emma Lazarus. And what it says is, bring me your tired, right? Your poor, your tired, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. That wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me, and I will raise my lamp beside the golden door. That's America. And so there was nothing in that speech that really identified the nature, the character, the essence of America. Nothing has better been better written except for our founding documents. It says, we are not a nation of elitist. It didn't say, bring me your white Anglo-Saxon Protestants with a minimum income of $100,000 a year. 
It didn't. When we go back to our founding documents and who we were as a nation, are as a nation, we are a nation of diversity. We always have been from our birth. And when you look at the Republican Party, the party founded in what, 1854, right? And Abraham Lincoln, and I, I claim and proudly say, I'm a Lincoln Republican, and why? And you can throw Frederick Douglass right there as his senior advisor. Our party was founded on the principle to overthrow abolition and to end slavery. And so when people say you far right, you know, wing folks are racist and this and that. So I'm kind of babbling at a, at a point where I'm not directly saying what's the difference. I wanted to kind of clarify for people to understand folks who say that they're Republican, what that means to us, what that means to me. We are a party of Lincoln. We are a party of everyone. And our campaign is going to actually act like it. We are going to go out and engage with the Hispanic community with the black community, with the Asian community, all of our citizenship in Washington state so that they understand they are valued, they are gonna be heard, and we are gonna listen to their insight, to their feedback so that we can govern better for everyone in the state. And so far right, that is so, some people could say MAGA Republicans, right? Trump Republicans, all this name calling, but it doesn't do any good because you cannot nail it down. There's no, there's no empirical study that says a far right is this. I, I, it depends on what a person says. For Simi Bird, I think when you're far right or you're far left, you deal with absolutes. That, that's what I believe. They're, they're, you, you tend to deal with absolutes, meaning it's my way or no way. And so I used to pride myself as, you know, that term rhino, Republican name and name only. I used to pride myself. I told people I used to be a rhino hunter. And, and <laughs> what it really I was I've hung up my, my my hunting rifle for a while but but what I meant by that when I said that is we need strong conservatives strong Republicans not weak and and strong does not necessarily mean we call names and and we do things you know unethically no what it means is stand by your word if you make promises during your campaign honor your word say what you mean and do what you say and on the far left, you know, they've called me a racist, right? They called me a, you know, a Trump sycophant, a fascist, a xenophobe, a homophobe. I had to look up some of this stuff, right? <laughs> and I'm so, just, some of that stuff. <laughs> right? And so, what happens is they label because right now I can guarantee you, folks far that way, whatever that means, because I really don't have a definition, they're going to label me a rhino. I'm sure I know what's going to be said. The folks over here, they're going to call me a far right Trump sycophant fascist. The only reason I keep saying that is because someone just recently called me that. Right? And so, um, yeah, I don't think there's a definition. But for me, if I can kind of try to define it, Matt, I think it's when we deal in definites and we say we believe in this, but we're not willing to listen to others. What I say, and this is important for people to know, you know, you could always say there's more than one way to skin a cat. I think we are better when we work together. I think we learn from one another. I, I think we, that's what makes us strong. By the way, that's how we became our nation because people of diverse backgrounds, we came together for something that is important. Right now, our state of the state, our state of the nation, this is the time for us to come together and set aside, not compromise our values. And, and I have to make this very clear too. I will never compromise my beliefs. I, I won't, but I will talk with anyone because that's how we learn. And, and even if we don't agree, I can still respect that person and think that person's a good person. We just don't agree on this. Here's the bottom line. Science will tell us, this is statistical, this is empirical. 
people tend to agree on political issues at, a, at the ratio of like 93 to 97%. It's crazy, right? We tend to agree on more things than we disagree on. But yet people here and people here tend to focus on what we disagree on and nothing gets done. So what Semi Bird is saying, what our campaign is saying, look, you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. If you decide you want to come to the tent, you can, but you're always welcome to talk, right? Help me to understand where you're coming from, but let's work together on what we can agree upon. Economic opportunity and growth, public safety, right? Everybody wants safe streets for their kids and better quality in education. That's why I decided to run for school board and got elected as a school board director versus running for Congress as I was originally asked to, to run for. The, the, the importance was on our children. That was the key target. That's what we have to protect. And that's what I did. Speaking about education, Simi, where do you stand on school choice and vouchers? Oh, thank you for saying that 100% without doubt, without equivocation. <laughs> so, so there's that. You know, I, I Corey DeAngelis, I consider him a friend. Um, we, we've spoken together on the topic and on the west side of the state. School choice 100%, and, and this is why. School choice affords every Washingtonian, regardless of your economic background or your, your economic standing, no matter how rich or poor you are, you get a choice in where your kids go. You have a choice in the quality of education. And so right now, and I will tell you, I was a poor kid um, for a great deal of my life, which is fine. Again, my mother was amazing and she sacrificed all for us. But my mom could not afford to put us in private school. I did go to a private middle school. And the only way I afforded that school, the school gave a grant, right? So we paid a partial rate. Um, my father kicked in some child support periodically to help with that. And another wonderful lady helped my mother with tuition. But we would not have been able to afford that, right? If we, well, if it was based on my mother's income. So school choice, Hannah, is this. It affords every, every Washingtonian equal opportunity and access to quality education. What it also does with our public school system, and we already know our public school system, just to throw a few statistics out at you, right now, when it comes to English and, and language arts, when you average out all of the school districts in the state of Washington, we are at 50.7%, meaning 50.7% of all students met grade level standards in English and language arts. 37.7% of all students met grade level standards in math. And 42.7% of all grades of all um, students met grade level standards for science, but yet we are graduating students at an 83% rate. Yes. Now I'm not a rocket scientist or a math genius. I'm allergic to math, right? I love statistics, but even I could figure that out, right? You are yeah. you are you have record lows in academic right, performance, but you have highs in shooting them out to the streets to their career. So essentially, we are graduating students with subpar education. Do you think that's this, part of the no child left behind policy? Well, you, you have to you have to you have to see the correlation, right? You have to see you have to see the correlation there, and and there and there certainly is. But when you start and look at solutions, it goes back to what what you proposed, what you asserted. Most certainly, school choice is the answer. And one of the things I just recently um, put forward in our last school board meeting, and we've got a lot of stuff done over this last year is comprehensive tutoring program, a compre comprehensive tutoring program. We talk about lost learning and lost learning, but what are we doing about lost learning? Diversity, equity, and inclusion does not raise a child's GPA or help them to understand English and language arts or math or science any better. All these other programs that we are talking about, 
which, which again, I support diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you ask me what it means, right? And I hope someone does, because it's not based simply on race. This is not a racial issue. This applies to all students. That's called diversity, right? And we include them because it's there who we serve as a school board and as a school district, right? So there's that diversity and inclusion. And equity is meeting those children where those children are, not lowering the standard, keeping the standard what it is, where it is, meeting children where they are at, where their needs are, providing the resources so that they can meet the standard. That is equity. That, that, that Special education children, right? Do they not need equity? Yes, they do. So it's not all about race. The far side up going that way left, they've kidnapped the terminology. Well, we're going to make it very clear what that terminology is. So school choice is the best answer. It makes uh, public schools more competitive. It holds them accountable to perform instead of just kicking the can down the road and not doing anything and continue to provide bad, bad uh, results, or op- results or outcomes. We need to take deliberate actions based on deliberate would you experience. Would you plan on easing kind of this, this cap we have on charter schools in the state of Washington as well? Yeah, so he, yes would be the answer. That That's my immediate thought. And and so the only reason I would pause on that, because again, I'm a, I'm a solutions person based on empirical fact. And, and so I like to have all that information, but no delay, no doubt when it comes to school choice. And there's a direct relationship between school choice and charter schools, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have something in the books now that can be a lot better. I support school choice. I will push for school choice in Washington state um, without a doubt. And we'll look for best practices. So it's not just, we don't have to make up something new. Arizona just did it a few months ago, right? And there's other states that that are looking towards school choice. Um, We can do it. And it's already been empirically proven to be effective. This will be good for Washington, but more importantly, this will be good for those marginalized communities who have been forgotten and left behind. They can't afford to put their kids in in nice schools, right? So when you talk about bringing that that value for all, this is what I'm talking about. Well, and I think it, I mean, I think you hit it on the head when you when you talked about it. It's going to bring way more value to all the children as they're trying to go through their schooling. Because, I mean, you look about it, you think about it right now, we're spending, I think the average is about $18,000 a year currently for students in Washington State. And as a as a former public school student of my, my own, me, um, I can tell you, I did not feel like it was such a great education. Yeah. Um, and, and recently I've pulled my own children out of public school and I've put them in a very different uh, hybrid type of style um, of schooling, but their learning has exploded. Um, mm-hmm. right? like what, what in like a year my son has gone through versus previous was, you know, I mean, it's like night and day what he's coming home with and learn. I mean, he's going into third grade or in third grade and he's already doing some algebra different things and he's just like eating it up as fast as he can. And I'm like, man, this is so much better for my kids. <laughs> you know, um, Matt, that's a great not example. All families have that opportunity. Right. And that's where I'm like, that's why I think it is uh, extremely vital for us to try to get that school choice done. Um, Absolutely. For, for the guys like Semi Bird, who are has a single mom with all them kids, you know, <laughs> no, for a fact. And and if and if we went, so you know, my older brothers and sisters, I mean, they were much older. So in very little time, you know, my brothers were already off to Vietnam, 
So every single male in my family is surfed, right? And, and, and even uh, my sister, right? And so one of my sisters. And then the other sister served on a charter airline to bring wounded warriors back from Vietnam. So in some way, form or fashion, all of my siblings have served this great nation. But to your point, my mother could not afford private school for seven kids. You couldn't even afford private school for, for two kids or one kid in, in many families. And, and so you had mentioned that the $18,000 mark, depending on which which where you look, if you look at OSPI, right, which uh, report card, the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, where it's their job to, to manage uh, all the statistics for learning and education in the state, it's 15,699 roughly. But, but even then, and I've heard the 18,000 number as well from others. But even then, with that much money, you can get a high quality private school, right? And afford for tutoring. You have money if, if for, those, for those poor families, for school clothes and books and supplies. So again, your point, Matt, where you have private schools, some many charter schools who are outperforming the expectations, why would we deny that to children? who are our future. These are the people who are gonna be running our businesses and running our country in no time. We have to stop graduating children with substandard education and start graduating children with quality education because they are our future, very much so. What's your thought on abolishing the federal Department of Education to make it force each state to determine their own? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, absolutely. If you so again, 10th Amendment, I'm a fan. <laughs> so we kind of talked about the Constitution, I'm a huge fan. And so when you look at that, this is this is narrowing the powers. So what I do as a performance consultant in an organization, when you look at the methodology of lean, it's it's you you map out the process, right? We call this value stream mapping, and you look for waste. Where you find waste, you remove it. I believe that the the National Department of Energy, assuming Department of Education, the other DOE, the Department of Education at the national level is a waste. What value are they re providing for us, right, at the state level? I believe the value for our state residents, Washingtonians, comes from our Washington, which is a board of education. And there's some work that needs to be done there. Not calling names, but opportunities for growth, right? And so there's my opinion on um, the federal Department of Education, Hannah. I, I don't support it. I don't see the value that it's creating. And you're absolutely right what you alluded to. We need the choice. We need that support and resources right here in our state. We should be making the decisions for our state. And then lastly on that, in RCW, I think it's 28alpha.150.230, it talks about the roles and responsibilities of a school board director. And down there, down the, the list, I think it's under H or G, it has a component where it says, based on the unique characteristics of that school district, right? Because Richland and Yakima are different than Bellevue, Issaquah, and Seattle, right? And so we have different populations, we have diverse backgrounds here that are different from over there. And so we need that local control so that we can make decisions based on the needs of our community, knowing and acknowledging that we actually serve our community. We don't serve the system, we serve the people in the community, those parents, those families, those taxpayers. That's why we need to have that control locally within the state of Washington. So what you're saying is you advocate for a bottom to top government. You're pretty much saying it. And so, so it's, it, I mean, if I'm not, maybe I read something different than history in the constitution. <laughs> but, but when you think about what a constitutional republic is, which is our formation of government in the United States of America, this really is a we the people. That is not a right or far right. 
it is how our country was formed. One plus one is two. Constitutional Republic is defined as what it is. It just simply means the people have the power. Article one, section one of the Washington State Constitution, right? That that last, well, the first line talks about that power resides in the people, yep. right? Right. And, and government derives its power from the governed, almost to the quote, maybe, right? And then the last line. It's just which really, What's that? That it's just power. You got to make sure it's just power. Well, absolutely. And that last line says that the job of, of government is to also protect and maintain the rights of all citizens in our state. And so the power is in the people. And a governor's job is not to impose his or her will or opinion on the people of Washington, but to do the will of the people of Washington. They don't work for me. I will work for them if I get elected. It's the same thing in the school board. I, I don't I don't work for the school district or OSPI or, or, or Governor Inslee, bless his heart. I work for the people who put me in office, the citizens of Richland, the citizens of Richland School District. That's who I work for. Those are my employers. Those are my bosses. And if I slip up, they need to get rid of me. Can I play devil's advocate for a second? Pardon me? Yes. I, I won't play devil's advocate for a minute. I think that what you're talking about is super idealistic. It's it's what we want. It's kind mm -hmm. of what we dream as conservatives. But when reality hits um, and you have to think about compromise, and yes, that's something you're going to have to face eventually, right? How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to deal with the corruption that's already been embedded within the state of Washington? So again, when, when you use a, this is idealistic, but an ideal is something that you work towards, correct? Sure. So we have a system that was intended to function a certain way and it did well for a while, but what happens? Systems are inanimate. It's the people who manage the systems and it's the people who are flawed in the systems. That's why I have an issue with saying systemic racism or systemic anything. It's, it's not the system, it's the people in the system. And in this case, we talk about corruption. All I will say is this, because I like specificity. You know, a lot of politicians, they use these broad <laughs> statements, talking points. They never really tell you anything. It's it's almost fake and not real. I want to know specifically. So if someone says there's corruption here, what I will do is what we call a root cause analysis, right? I want to know the root cause of that corruption. What is it? Define it clearly. And until we can do that, you cannot root it out. So identify it and get rid of it. So when we talk about ideals and values, and it's important to know that, again, it's not my job to impose my opinion or my will upon the people, but it is my job as their trusted executive of office for the state government to deliver integrity, to deliver accountability. One of the first things I'm going to do just to walk that talk is engage a third party contractor to come in and conduct an audit and assessment of all state programs and all state offices. This is not to target anybody. This is not saying mass, it's not a blame thing. It's not a you are bad anything. It's to give us a baseline of where we are at, how we are performing throughout all of our government and those programs. How much money are we spending? Are we getting the bang for the buck? Is there fraud, waste and abuse, right? That's what we need to do. And you cannot do it by saying, those darn people are doing this. We need to know. And by bringing in a third party professional, something I do for a living <laughs> until, until I retired a month ago so I can run our campaign, our, I push forward in our campaign. This is what I do for a living. I do performance improvement. I do leadership development and coaching and consulting. So I'm gonna bring those skills to government. We're gonna look at how we're performing as a government for the people, 
we're going to report to the people what the findings are, and we're going to report the solutions that we're going to take. So the Office of Government, our job, my job will be to run the executive administration. That's my job. That I have autonomy to do. What I don't have autonomy of is other elected positions. It is up to the people to hold us accountable, which again is why I'm going to do that first assessment and audit. And the other thing I'm going to do right off the bat is push legislation to work on term limits for the office that I will be elected to. There should be term limits for the office of, of, of governor, period. Um, and so I figure I get elected right away in my office. I'm asking you to hold hold me accountable and impose term limits on my seat. So I, I can't run and run and run. A lot of what you're saying is really big conservative ideas, right? You're really you're really appealing to the conservative base. But we know that in the state of Washington, one of the biggest hurdles a governor has to face is Seattle, Pierce County, Snohomish County, right? Um, and those people, they don't care for that conservative idea. They don't want to have to be held accountable to anybody, right? They want you to run it, leave them alone. So how are you going to appeal to that liberal base? That, that, so that is a beautiful question. I'm not saying it because, I mean, but it really is, and thank you for asking it. The reason I appreciate it, it goes to our campaign. So I'm going to push back because I love when you're the devil's advocate, I want to be the devil. So I'm just going to call it a, a, gentle, a gentle nudge back. So I don't, <laughs> there, there are liberals. So it's kind of like we were talking, Matt asked that beautiful question. What is far right Republican, far left liberal? I mean, it's like, Quien sabes, you know, who knows in Spanish, right? It hasn't been clearly defined, but there's a lot of us right in here, right? A broad band. What I mean by that is this. I do not believe that Democrats per se, right? Per se, which most of my family and some of my dear friends are. I know for a fact, knowing them, they care about fiscal responsibility. They don't want to pay taxes and just throw money out like this. I mean, they got to make, right? They have to make payroll for those those self-employed folks. Um, so they don't want that, you know, do they don't want that. They want accountability. So what I'm saying is, as a governor for all of Washington, we focus on solutions that matter to all Washingtonians. And those solutions that we're talking about is fiscal responsibility so that Washingtonians aren't spending paying ac- excess tax. One of the things you won't get from me, well, one of the things you will get is tax relief, right? What you won't get is imposing tax during an economic crisis. That makes no sense. And again, I'm not calling names. Holding government accountable to ensure that if you have a program that you're performing to standard or that you actually have metrics in which you're measuring performance for that program, I think all Washingtonians go, well, that makes sense. I think you're wrong. Right. What we are bringing is literally a common sense approach that anybody can look at and go, this is simply an organization that I pay into running more effectively and more efficient. And so what I will assert is everybody would want that. It's only when we we paint it as this is a Republican policy and this is no, I'm not that guy. Again, I told you my values. I do not budge on my values, my beliefs. But when you're in the role of governor, I, I'm here for all of Washington. And so it's my job to sit right there and bring folks to the table to get things done. And sure, when we sure. talk about compromise, I, I teach this in terms of conflict management, negotiation. I'm nationally trained as a mediator. And so compromise, there's two types of compromise. If you put a weak person representing you at the table to, to, to have a negotiation, well, guess what's going to happen? Yeah. It's not going to do that well for you because I'm weak. I'm not a weak person. 
But what is going to happen is with Governor Byrd is me advocating for what is best for Washington. There's no equivocation on being fiscally responsible. There's no equivocation on being more efficient and more effective and how we run the government. And there's there's no real debate on public safety, having safe streets for your children to play on so that you can go to the store, you can walk to the store. You can walk down the, down the street without st stepping over syringe needles. We have economic growth and opportunity. We're bringing more small business into the fold. We're minimizing regulations. Those can be, people could label, label, or label those as conservative policy. I'm gonna call them common sense policy that benefits Washingtonians, all Washingtonians. I hope I made some sense of that. It, it will benefit all Washingtonians. However, I disagree with you that this is a common uh, common sense policy or, or take for every Washington Washingtonian. We see time and time again that the narrative that's been placed in Washington is about feelings over facts. Yes. You were talking about cutting taxes. And to, I guarantee you, 80% of the majority in Seattle, that literally translates, you want to kill homeless people. Oh, because no. you're taking away the ability for the state to maintain its narrative that we must supply, you know, safe drug injection sites and homeless and all of these programs. No. So, go ahead, go ahead, Anna. I guess what I'm saying is that your your ideas, the way that you're pitching them, is still extremely conservative. You have to face the reality that many Washingtons, especially in the suburban areas, are based over feelings over facts. You're right on that feeling over facts. So here's the solution to that. Because again, solutions. Yes. One of, the, one of the things, that's why we started so early, right? And we're in 2022 for a 2024 election. Sammy Bird will be all in those inner city communities, right? Okay. Those urban communities talking. I'll be going into those churches. I'll be going into those neighborhood organizations. And I will open up my heart, my mind to learn from them, to educate. And when I say that, I get educated and then I can educate others on, on my proposed policies so that they know why this is beneficial. And when you bring a common sense approach to those community members, <laughs> these are smart, intelligent people, right? On the West side, just like they're on the East side. But when you have people taking labels, if this is Republican or this is Democrat or this is this, shields go up and there's no discussion. There's no communication. Shields are up. We need to lower those shields. We need to share so that people understand, I'm not here to do anything nefarious. Let me tell you what I propose. Tell me what you think is important and let's leave this table with a better understanding. That is just human nature. We don't do a good job. And I will say this with respect to my Republican brothers and sisters of past, I'm always moving forward. <laughs> we have not done a good job of going into those inner city communities building those relationships and engaging. We have not done a great job reaching out to Hispanic population. We're traditionally, if you want to label, conservative by culture, hardworking, spiritual, family-oriented, um, some of the, the greatest trends in entrepreneurial, which is, a, which, is, which is an American cornerstone of economic growth, right? And so these are those communities that we are going to be engaging, letting them know we value them, and here's the thing, Hannah, when we have these discussions, people feel a part of the system. Instead of you throwing stuff down people's throats, you give them the respect of understanding, helping them to understand what you're talking about, listening to what they need so that we can find that, that common ground. That is not compromising. 
that is collaborating and educating one another so we can get better results. And I know it seems somewhat Pollyanna, but I've done this for a living. And we have a very good success rate with all humility. I'm not going to throw the 90 something percent number out there, but, but it's just talking to people and treating people with kindness and respect and wording things so that they understand it. There's yeah. a, that's where we, we agree more than we disagree. I'm so glad you brought this up because you're giving <laughs> me, an, no, really, you're giving me an opportunity because you're right in what you said, feelings over facts. That is the trend. That is the norm. This is why we say in the birdforgovernor.com campaign, there's a new day in Washington. And really, the new day is just old school common sense, being <laughs> real with people and being open and honest with people. And with that, that concludes part one of our episode with Semi Berg, candidate for governor of Washington State, brought to you by Accurate Perspective. Be sure to tune in to our next episode dropping on January 1st. Until then, have a great day and guys, have a happy new year.